How do airplanes fly? What's in this box? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Learn how to store your gun securely and make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. I'm Colleen Wolf from Thursday Night Football and Good Morning Football Weekend. And I'm Ricky Hollywood from around the NFL and the broadcast. On our new podcast, Split Ends, Ricky and I will be coming to you every week to talk about all the important and unimportant storylines in the football world. Join us for the stories on and off the field that matter. And some don't, but we think they're interesting, so we're going to talk about them anyway. We'll break down games, news stories, tweets, interviews, whatever it takes to cover the ins and outs of the NFL world. We're here to talk you through it. Just a couple of best friends talking ball. Listen to Split Ends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL fans, nothing compares to being there live. Now the crowd is alive. And Ticketmaster is your official gateway to seats all season. With Ticketmaster, the official ticketing partner of the NFL, your seats are secure and 100% guaranteed. If a last-minute snafu keeps you sidelined, you can sell your tickets with Ticketmaster in just a few taps. Oh, I love football! Buy or sell your seats this season at Ticketmaster.com NFL. Welcome to Record Store Society, a production of iHeartRadio. Uh, every time I go to a concert, I always buy a t-shirt, or I try to buy a t-shirt. Um, when I was a teenager, I remember buying this baby doll tee from an R.E.M. show back when they toured with Luscious Jackson on their monster tour, and the shirt said Tongue. And I'm just, I, I just remember thinking I was so cool for having a shirt that said Tongue. Um, but yeah. Oh, hi. Hi. Welcome to the store. I'm Tara, and Seth would normally be here, but he's out today. So, um... Yeah, feel free to, to look around, and I'll be off the phone in just a minute. Holler if you need anything. But yeah, anyway, so yeah, as an adult, that shirt just seems so inappropriate for a teenage girl to own. Um, and I also feel like my mom just got rid of all my cool bandies I acquired from all the shows I went to as a teenager. Oh, hey. Hey, I got to hop off here. There's a very important guest that's here. I'll call you back later. Bye. Hi. Hi. Welcome Hi, to the store. I, I looked around. I guess I must be the very important guest. <laughs> you are. What's up, Matt LeMay? It's so good to see you in the store again. Good to see you too. Good to be back. Not not a ton going on. Just just coming by to see what's good, what's new. Yeah, we have all the new releases here. We're we're the best record store in town. I I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um I'm glad that you're here because, you know, we we like to play the high fidelity game. But with yes. Seth not being here, I don't have anyone to play with. So hopefully you'll be down to play the high fidelity game with me today. Oh, absolutely. I was I was hoping I was hoping I'd get a chance to play that very game. So even happier to be here now. Hell yeah. Um, I don't know. I was tossing around some ideas for this game and I was thinking something about guitars because we both play. We do. And, but also I didn't want it to be guitar solos. Um, what do you think about doing like a top five guitar parts that are not guitar solos? Ooh, I love it. That's a great one. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking about it. There's so many, you know, there's a lot of YouTube videos where a 50 year old guy in a Steely Dan t-shirt will tell you what his top five favorite guitar solos are. And I love all of them, but I'm happy for us to contribute to the discourse in a slightly different way. Wait, 
Uh, were you just talking about yourself? Do you have a YouTube video? I'm not 50 and I, I don't have think a YouTube. So. The only, the only aspect of that statement that was applicable to me is, is the possession of a Steely Dan okay, t-shirt. Well, that's the part that really got me, which is why I asked, because I know you're a huge Steely Dan fan, which I am indeed. as am I. And if you're not, uh, what's wrong with you? I you're not, you got to listen to more Steely Dan. Something will click. Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I think that, yeah, guitar parts that are not guitar solos. Are we just talking riffs? Are we talking about like any guitar part or how do we define this? For me, I think as I go through my head, so many of my favorite guitar parts aren't necessarily riffs as you would think of riffs per se. Um, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's an interesting challenge because a guitar can do so many different things and so many different songs and so many different kinds of music. So I'm curious as we talk through this to see what, what sort of taxonomies emerge of guitar parts. Um, what's, what's a riff, what's an intro, what's just a particularly interesting or compelling way of playing chords or variations on chords. Where does it go? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of really cool, like creative ways to, to do things with the guitar. That's just, you know, outside of any just regular riff or even guitar solos. So yeah, I'm excited to do this list. Um, since you're the guest, would you like to go first? Sure. The All very right. important guest. <laughs> I, I prefer to be, I, I prefer to under set expectations low and over deliver. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully I will deliver on these expectations. So uh, I'm going to start in as, as I started thinking through this in my mind, there, there's a, a, a set of, of guitar parts, which are like guitar intros to songs that consist of one or two chords with a few little suspensions over them. Like the kind of Jack and Diane guitar part or Tom Petty's Free Fallen or in a more problematic example, Michael Jackson's Black or White. Um, but the one I came to at my number five is the intro to Sheryl Crow's If It Makes You Happy. I, I don't think I can think of a finer guitar sound uh, in the history of recorded guitar-based music. Like the thing where there's the electric guitar, the perfect electric guitar with the perfect acoustic guitar layered over it. And it's just that one chord with that perfect little suspension. That is what you want a guitar to do. And for all the canonical examples of that approach to that type of guitar intro, that's the one that I keep coming back to. Yeah, that is a, as soon as you hear it, everybody knows the song, legendary guitar riff, but not overly, yeah, but not overly complicated at all. No, I think a, a lot of my, my favorites I'm realizing aren't that complicated and aren't that like virtuosic per se. I think, you know, I went through when I, when I started playing guitar, I, I learned folk music first from my dad. And then I had a guitar teacher who was really into like Stevie Ray Vaughan and that kind of like kind of like flashier blues playing, which was never my thing. And that teacher and I did not get along very well. 
Um, and then I found like guided by voices and pavement and I was like, okay, cool. I don't have to take lessons anymore. Like you don't have to be good at this. And I think that, um, <laughs> that sort of indie rock slacker lo-fi ethos, uh, is still with me to this day to a large extent in terms of just appreciating something that is simple, but 100% perfectly the right thing. Yeah. No, I think a lot of the 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 parts that I came up with for my list are also that that same vibe. Simple, not overly complicated, just are the exact right thing to make the song just like the next level thing. Or or even if it's not the next level thing, it 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 makes the song so memorable in your head. Or maybe if it's yeah. just that part that's memorable and it's stuck in your head. Um yeah, and and this song too, like the whole song is so simple to play actually on guitar, pretty straightforward and kind of monotonous in a way, but not. Does that make sense? I think it just has a really great flow to it. Just the the way that it sits over that 4/4 beat. Like it's a really subtle thing, but I feel like the tempo of that song is perfect. Mm-hmm. Like it just gives it just enough room for it to move you forward but still there's enough room kind of in between the different chords for it to to settle into a really, really nice groove. Like that part, part of the reason I picked this one also is that part kind of runs through the whole song. It's, it's, it introduces the song and then it, it's the engine for the song also. Mm-hmm. And it just yeah. works so well. Yeah. She's awesome, man. Cheryl Crow. She's, yeah. she's rad. It's super rad. I didn't appreciate Cheryl Crow enough in the 90s and early 2000s. But at the same time, you know every word to every song without yes. being a giant fan. Yeah, it's funny how, especially during the the era of music television, when there were a lot of music videos on television, there are songs that, like, I, w- I, don't, I wouldn't seek out, like, a Cheryl Crow music video, but just through osmosis, like, the songs, I think, were, no pun intended, strong enough Cheryl Crow, <laughs> um, which is also all, which also could have been on this list. The guitar part from Strong Enough is also like yeah. just stupid classic. So good. Those little little turnarounds between the chords are, are unstoppable. But there was just a, a those songs were were good enough that you could get a like a comprehensive picture of them as you said like learn all the words all the parts just through osmosis yeah, yeah which is really cool yeah man can we start our own music television network <laughs> just all Cheryl Crow videos <laughs> I feel like the kids are missing out these days um no but what's crazy cuz you mentioned just now strong enough could have made your list too and i'm and i'm thinking of all of her hits and they all kind of start out with like a like a riff that's just, or like a little guitar part that's so memorable. All I want to do. And then um, if it makes you happy, which is the one you picked and uh, favorite mistake. Yeah. Uh, Every day is a winding road. Yep. (laughs) They're all like that. They all have these like simple, straightforward but yet super memorable guitar opening parts yep all these little and actually since i have a guitar here i'm just gonna <laughs> I'm, I'm strong enough there's this 
It's that little suspended, that little open G that's like. It's just like, it's perfect. It's a classic. It's that classic like D major to B minor. But that little suspension is just like enough to enough for the Hall of Fame, as it were. Yeah. Is she in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. She should be. We were just talking about this recently where there's like, it's such a man's world all up in the Hall of Fame. Um, yeah. That like legendary female musicians, it's shocking to find out that they're not there. Um, but yeah, she should be. If she's not already. I kind of feel like she might be though. I don't know. Well, well, we don't have to look it up. Well, maybe, <laughs> shall we? No. Someone else look it up and... Get back to us. Maybe someone else will, will, will walk into the store with some, some intel. <laughs> yeah. What's your number? So that was number five. What's your number? F- Num- number four. It's, it's, it's an obvious choice, but I could not. Uh, My Bloody Valentine, Only Shallow. You know, talk about an iconic opening guitar sound and an iconic guitar record um just that screeching again it's two notes it's like but it's yeah it's taking like what would be so such a like metal like that kind of bent like but it's putting it in this really lush and soft context um and there's there's like so many my bloody valentine songs and moments that could make the list I also love that that comes in after the drums, that there's that dot, 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 and then like the guitar. Usually when there's a big drum fill, that's what leads you in. But that drum fill is just setting you up for these two drawn out guitar notes, which are somehow like both gnarlier and heavier than the drums and like softer and more delicate than the drums at the same time. Just totally a, a... an unexpected, brilliant twist of what a guitar can do in the general genre of rock music. Yeah. I mean, Kevin Shields was foraging a path of these sort of innovative sounds with his guitar. Um, and, you know, many bands have gone after to replicate this sort of, t- even the tunings that he has for all of his different guitars and um the effects that he achieves with his different pedals and yeah, he's, he's a genius, I guess. I don't know. I feel like we throw that word around so lightly these days, but I honestly do believe he was really pushing himself and pushing sound in a different way that does put him in that genius level. Yeah. I think, you know, it's funny, like of, of, of the, the great shoegaze bands, like my, personal favorite has always been ride in part because that the drumming on those records is just like i'm i'm at the end of the day i'm i'm a big i'm a big drums person and the like sensitive floppy haired shoegaze vocals with the big muscular drums is just like the the key to my heart 100 <laughs> percent. no i love it too it's like the soft against the hard which is always this like juxtaposition you can find in like every art almost yeah but and maybe it's so predictable but i just love it it's those loud guitars lots of fuzz and soft pretty vocals everything else is just blaring loud i love that 
Yeah, and that's and and the the way that loud guitars work in my bloody Valentine is, is just different from any other. It's it's just a completely different thing. It's like I know we, we talked last time about I think it was we were talking about an Alice EP. in Chains uh, oh, uh, acoustic yeah. EP, yeah. where like the acoustic yeah. instruments are kind of doing the harder edged thing, mm-hmm. and it's cool to also hear situations where deafeningly loud electric guitars are kind of creating this soft enveloping texture any anybody who can who can play those contrasts against each other thumbs up yeah so um i know i've talked about this before but um over the pandemic we started a band called neutral palette me and some friends and i submitted the song we did a cover of bizarre love triangle but we did it in this Mm -hmm. like shoegaze style i submitted it um for a bunch of playlists, um, like user playlists on Spotify. And um, so all these people would like review us and then put us on the playlist if they liked us or not, or if we fit their aesthetic. And a couple times people, we got reviews that said, um, I just think that the vocals are not in the front enough or like they're too quiet. Uh, And I was just like, no, that's on purpose. Haven't you ever heard of my bloody Valentine? Yeah, that's it's it's a choice. It was a choice. Yeah, but it's like it's a choice except for when it's not a choice, which which is uh, the the like which is a different a different issue in different styles of music. Yeah, I I speak from experience when I was starting out in my my music career and I was like, just bury the vocal when it was music that should not have the vocal buried. But the whole (laughs) point of of shoegaze music yeah, is like that that softness and the way that the different textures blend together and letting the guitars really lead the way and and having the vocals kind of fit into the guitars rather than the other way around. That being said, not saying like we're not the best at mastering and producing. We did all of it mostly in garage band across many time zones. So I'm sure there's some, you know, better producing we could have done there, but yeah, that was a, that was a choice. <laughs> Hearing where you want it to go is, uh, 99% of the battle. Yeah. And I, I say that having <laughs> still battling with that 99%, um, if you can hear again, if you can hear where you want things to go, if you can hear what that finished product should sound like in your mind, you know, I always, I always tell people when I'm, when I'm mixing records that, all like all of your least favorite albums were probably produced on millions of dollars of really fancy gear. It's just that aesthetically the target they were aiming for was something that sounds terrible and they succeeded in making it sound that way. Mm-hmm. But the ability to, to hear where you want things to go is again, that's really, that's what producing music is all about. Yeah. Actually this leads to a whole other discussion, which is even if it is, you know, kind of this like lo-fi poorly produced, poorly mastered sound, that's maybe not on purpose, but it could could potentially define your sound to to have something like that, that raw. If you think about Daniel Johnston, who was recording all these tapes, all these like lo-fi tapes in his parents' basement, he has that sound. And I think a lot of people may, especially like lo-fi indie musicians, I think sometimes want to have a sound like that. Um, yeah. It's funny. I was just talking to to Joan, to my wife, about this because we were listening to the Guided by Voices album "Do the Collapse," which is like their hi-fi album, and the the kind of showstopper songs, like the great songs on that record, sound great, but the throwaways sound really bad because when you try to hi-fi polish up a throwaway, it's like 
very obvious that it's a throwaway. It doesn't work. Whereas I feel like on the lower Fi Guided by Voices records, because the aesthetic was part of the song itself, there was always some weird, interesting move to make that song still sound like an intentional thing, not just a less good song. So I think having having that full suite of like studio as instrument approaches available to you is always a good way to to open up open up other approaches that might not have been accessible to you otherwise. Yeah. But that but yeah, so like going back to my bloody valentine, it's like they made Kevin Shields made this hit their sound. Yeah. And it's so cool. Good choice. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so we're moving on to number three, which is a wild card. This is the uh, this is the the unexpected choice, uh, and this is from Owls, which is a late '90s, early 2000s. Um, I guess it's framed largely as a Cap and Jazz or Joan of Arc side project. It's the same people who were in Cap and Jazz minus Davy Von Bolen. Uh, the song is called "Everyone Is My Friend." The guitar playing of Victor Villarreal on this song is phenomenal and hugely influential to pretty much all sort of mathy post-rocky and emo post-rocky records that followed. Yeah. And uh, woof, it is just incredible. That is similar to one that I thought about putting on my list, which is American Football, Never Meant, mm-hmm. how it's like... That oh, whole yeah. like math rock kind of like very melodic guitar parts that aren't solos but make up almost like the entire songs i'm so glad you brought up american football because that guitar part has become so iconic like there are kids who have tattooed the tablature to that guitar part on their arms and talking to so my wife joan um lived in chicago from 99 to 2003 and was actually a touring member of owls for their european tour um and she was the one who you know because i i was familiar with this world of music but she was like no 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 this first owls record is really like so many of the things you love like about that scene especially the guitar playing is victor is victor villarreal who was again in cap and jazz and in owls like he is the the pinnacle of that style of playing where it's never really a chord. Like there's not a lot of chords in these songs, mm-hmm. but there are these weird fiddly like mathematical parts, but there's also so much emotion in them. It's just all of those little like talking about those little chord suspensions, those little, you know, things that vary that that deviate from the major or minor chord. It's so many of those little things just put into this bizarrely virtuosic but never show offy kind of yeah. way of playing like that first owls record so much it's just a perfect distillation to me it also sounds incredible steve albini produced it um you know mike kinsella who was the singer and, and main songwriter in american football played drums in uh cap and jazz and in owls so the lineage of of all of those guitar players and that style of guitar really largely goes back to victor villarreal who was in high school when cap and jazz was was a band and who you know we it's funny we saw them there was an owls reunion tour 
we were still living in New York. So this was probably 2013 or 2012, maybe even. And uh, the opening act was Hopalong, who I had never seen before. And it, it was incredible to have that feeling of just being like blown away by an opening act again, seeing an opening act and being like, okay, so this is my new favorite band. Um, but you could also hear in Hopalong and in a lot of emo revival bands um, that that style of playing is so revered and, and Victor Villarreal is so revered as a guitarist in that particular world, but not really widely outside of that world. Um, so for anyone who, who, who has loved, you know, I think that that American football record, like has that has one great song and some other pretty good songs, but the, if you want to hear like a, a super kind of turbocharged version of the essence of what makes that one song great, um, Victor Villarreal's playing on the first Owls record is is it highly recommend. Yeah, that's awesome. I've I've never actually listened to that album before, but I love Captain Jazz and I love American Football, so um I'm excited to listen to that. One band that I also considered putting on my list, but I feel like probably were likely influenced in a way by by those guys. Um, was Deerhoof song Snoopy Waves. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got such a, like, the whole entire song is very much like one of those guitar parts. Oh, yeah. Deerhoof is a great, uh, that the song uh, Milkman is something, that that guitar part is one that I think about a lot. That that intro, like, and they recorded that i remember reading an interview with him because i was like how did they get the guitar to sound so good and they recorded it through this piece of equipment called the line six i think it was called the pod do you remember this it was like this red desktop thing that kind of looked like a painter's easel um, but it was this like relatively cheap and frowned upon by like serious no. guitar people, a piece of equipment. I don't remember. But they recorded every, they said that they recorded every chord separately because they wanted to get the tuning so exact that like trying what? to play each chord without tuning it in between would go just a little bit, a little bit far off. Um, which, which to me is again, like such a perfect example of how Deerhoof, I think a massively underrated band that was so deliberate and so like so methodical and how they crafted music that then sounded mm-hmm. really kind of chaotic and energetic. Yeah. Uh, but melodic but so too. Many, yeah. So melodic and so many great guitar parts um, from that band. Yeah. Do you think that they were ever influenced by those American football guys that that whole crew of like it's math? It's a great question. Math rock? I have no, I have no idea. I think Deerhoof was was kind of its own its own thing. I'm sure there were all kinds of influences, but I yeah. don't know if if that was was one of them. Yeah, I don't either. But I feel like I could hear it maybe a little bit, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good choice. I love it. Thank you. Um all right, so we're we're, we're to number 2. Wait, we are. Which is Okay, we had Cheryl Crow, My Bloody Valentine. My Bloody Valentine. Oh, you're right. Dang, we're flying through this. Okay. Um, so this one is a classic and this one could have been on the solo list as well, but I am specifically choosing the non solo parts of this song. Um, again, not a, not a particularly esoteric choice in a guitar list, but, uh, Jimi Hendrix, the wind cries, Mary. The traffic lights, they turn blue tomorrow. 
um, the way he played the notes and chords of those verses is a blueprint for like maybe 40% of rock and roll music that followed following the chords around kind of doing those little hammer ons. It's such a specific and iconic thing, but it became such a massive unavoidable part of the like rock guitar lexicon. Um, so kind of, kind of couldn't not with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel you. I have, I have one similar on my list. That's not, you know, the most like, I don't know, mind blowing choice, but it's kind of like you have to put that there because you thought of it number one and it deserves to be on the list. That's yeah. Yeah, man. He, there's so many that he has that are like that, honestly, Jimi Hendrix, but of course there would be because he's just like probably one of the most well-known guitar legends ever. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, when I had my guitar teacher, one of the first things he taught me how to play was that intro riff to purple haze that down, 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 down. I was like, this is easy. This isn't so hard. Why is Jimi Hendrix considered this great guitar player? I can play this. But when you try to play a Jimi Hendrix part, like Jimi Hendrix, that's when you're like, Oh, okay. Like it's the, you know, that was a, a, a breakthrough moment for me in terms of not thinking about the difficulty of a guitar part as in any way correlated to the goodness of right. the guitar part. Yeah. Like Jimi Hendrix parts are like not a lot of them are just like, you know, pretty classical, like riffing on pentatonic scales and doing the things that like I, I think part of the reason that Jimi Hendrix remains such an important like part in the journey of people learning to play guitar is that you you learn feel from Jimi Hendrix. Like you think you got it, but then you listen back and you're like, why can I not? It's kind of like the same thing with drummers trying to learn um, like John Bonham drum yeah. parts, you know, where you're like, oh, I can play the, I can play the Fool in the Rain shuffle. Like I've got this, but you can't play it like John Bonham played it because it's, because nobody can. Um, yeah. And on The Wind Cries Mary, like that, the, just the way that, you know, it's such a cliche to say it's the notes he doesn't play as much <laughs> as the notes he does play. But just the yeah. way that he's kind of letting the bass lead in certain parts, like playing off the drums, just doing these little little flourishes that never get in the way. I mean, the other thing that's fascinating to me about Jimi Hendrix is like a very plain voice, like not a not a showstopper vocalist, which also meant that when he's singing, like if you have a relatively plain voice and you're noodling all over it the vocals get lost but he was able to use his guitar virtuosity to frame his own voice in a really compelling way which is again all feel yeah um so yeah the 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 little the little verse parts in that song um also honorable mention here to steely dan's dirty work which is another one where the uh the little yes denny dias flourishes in the uh in the verses are are the most interesting parts of that song. Oh man, Dirty Work is I think my favorite Steely Dan song. Um It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I mean Jimi Hendrix ha he had this he had the sauce. He had the sauce. Yeah. Yep. Um the the flavor, the flavor sauce. So that way he <laughs> Yeah, he was like what you said, it was maybe not these like parts that weren't they weren't complicated necessarily but how he was doing it was making it complicated 
And that's yep. a lot of like jazz mm-hmm. There's the sauce. You got to add the sauce. It's the sauce. <laughs> got to have the sauce. Um, but one thing you mentioned about him, him and his voice and not being maybe the like most talented singer. Um, one thing I heard recently, I just wanted to call it a house, really nothing to do with this conversation kind of, um, I heard someone saying recently, you know, if you want to be successful, I mean, this is obviously not the secret, not the only secret, because there's, I'm sure, a lot of things that will get you there, but, or not get you there. Um, But if you want to be a singer and stand out from the crowd, stop trying to be exactly like your hero. Stop Mm -hmm. trying to sound exactly like Billie Eilish. Stop trying to sound exactly like Ariana Grande. Yes, they are famous for their voices, but their voices were different from the others, which is why they stood out. Um, so now you have all of these people trying to do the same thing and they're not going to stand out. And I think I, I like those uh, imperfect singers a lot. Yeah, Like Bjork same. is one. Bjork is one. And if you do what Bjork does, you're obviously, like you're not obviously copying because maybe you just do sing like that, but she is the first to sound like that. Yeah. Um, or I don't know who else is like, no, Natalie Merchant is not perfect, but she can sing. She has a great voice, but yeah. it's, but it's a unique voice that maybe, yeah. I don't Natalie know. Merchant, I hadn't thought about Natalie Merchant as a singer in a long time, but yeah, there's a, like a lot of women who don't sing in a hyper feminine way, their voices don't get appreciated enough. Yeah. Like Natalie Merchant almost had like a, like she reminds me of of like some of my favorite folk singers, like in that kind of more mid rangey. Like she does doesn't have a delicate voice. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of you know there was one of my one of my favorite songwriters is uh, Nina Anastasia, who's made a few incredible records. She did a record with Jim White, which is one of my favorite records ever. And like she's also a, a like relatively plain voiced person, but an incredible writer. And so much of the uh, writing about her was like, her voice is so incredible. And when I interviewed her like over a decade ago now, I was like, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. But uh, to me, like your writing is more exceptional than your voice. And she was like, thank you. I don't think I have an exceptional voice, but you know, there's this need, there's this need to kind of essentialize a lot of people down to their voices when the way they use their voice or the way that they write for their voice um, and I think Natalie Merchant is a great example of somebody who like wrote for her voice so well, who like found that perfect, like mm-hmm. middle, that perfect lane, and then could use the high notes when they were needed, could go low, but, but so much of the, just knowing your own voice is kind of its own, its own skill that I don't yeah. think that's appreciated enough. I feel like Kate Bush was the same way. And also mm-hmm. bringing it back to Jimi Hendrix I feel like Liz Fair is kind of that way as well. Like she augments her voice with her intelligent lyrics and incredible creative guitar playing, but her, her singing voice is nothing like extraordinary. It's, it's rather ordinary, but (laughs) she, she, she augments it in a way with her writing and her, her music ability. And I think, yeah, like what you said about Jim, Jimi Hendrix, how he was able to play his guitar to sort of augment the voice that he had. Yeah. Again, I think knowing, knowing your voice and knowing how to write for your voice are, uh, under, underappreciated skills. 
Yeah. Cool. Cool. Oh my gosh. Is it time for your number one? It's time for number one. And there's a two way tie at number one. Um, (laughs) Because one, because one of these songs is technically not played on a guitar. So um, there's two, which, you know, one of the fun things about thinking about this for me is like tracing the lineage of things back. Like as you go back, like what's the classic iconic example of like introducing a style of a guitar part that I love to like not even necessarily introducing but maybe popularizing or just kind of perfecting it early on um so my my first the one the number one tied for number one that is played on the guitar is uh the beatles here comes the sun like that acoustic guitar part at the beginning that's like if you're talking about a lovely guitar part with chords that are that are arpeggiated and voiced in an interesting way like that the power of that open d chord is like just the 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 icon of guitar music uh all roads kind of lead back to that so that is where i landed that's such a good choice wait so tell me the other one so so tied for number one played on an actual guitar is the beatles here comes the sun tied for number one played technically on a hammer dulcimer but i think the best that a guitar adjacent instrument has ever sounded on a record Joni mitchell a case of you that part is just like like I will burst into tears thinking about that guitar part, even though it is technically not played on guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, all the chord voicings. I think Joni Mitchell's blue is like the pinnacle of acoustic stringed instruments. Um, and also just, you know, I think that the Joni Mitchell run from, uh, let's say from blue through Hegira is like a, probably a pinnacle of human creative expression, <laughs> just yeah. like an unmatched run of music and you know she she famously because she had some issues with her her hands she kind of taught herself these open chord voicings and taught herself these different ways of playing um which actually reminded me of i was reading an interview with liz fair where she talked about how a lot of her chord voicings are just visual like she visualizes the chords rather than thinking through the theory of the chords um and you know both liz fair and jody mitchell visual artists before they were musicians so i think that this kind of like this expressive painterly style of approaching a stringed instrument is so incredible. And just the way that that part speaks, um, you know, it's the chords and it's the melody. It's all the things you want. It's all the things you want from like music, really. Um, I've always favored the, the stringed instrument or, or at least the, uh, like the guitar and dulcimer songs on blue have always been my favorite over the piano songs. Um, and a case of you is just like, I mean, I could go, I could go on forever about that song, how that song is like a, which I learned from a biography of Joni Mitchell. That song is a burn on Leonard Cohen, um, which is also amazing. Like that song is about like Leonard Cohen being a pretentious and boring dude. She's like, whatever Leonard Cohen, like, you're weak wine. You're boring. I could like, drink a case of you. Wow, I always thought it to be a sweet song. 
the it, it, I did too until I the 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 chorus I could drink a case of you and I'd still be on my feet. It's like I could drink a case of you and like I wouldn't be drunk. Wow, it's I this, never like, thought of it like that. I thought it's a sick burn on Leonard Cohen. I thought it's it like, was like which is you're so delicious and so sweet. I could just drink you all day and keep drinking you. I, I've, I've always interpreted it, especially because like when you when you hear it through the lens of like taking the Leonard Cohen, like women are like wine. And I love me some Leonard Cohen, but it's like wow. taking all the things that Leonard Cohen does and doing them better than Leonard Cohen in a song that's a burn on Leonard Cohen. Um, and I read somewhere they asked him about it. And he was like, it's very hard to listen to music by someone who you've been naked with. And it's like, shut up, Leonard oh, Cohen. What? Like you got you got circles written around you like and you can't you can't deal so i you know there there was a, a twitter thread a couple of months ago when i was back when i was dipping my toe into twitter um where david crosby who has continued to be just a delight on twitter was just like yeah Joni mitchell was like 10 times the was twice the writer of dylan and 10 times the singer and like we all knew it and I think you can't, you, like, you can't listen to a song like A Case of You and not, like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Dylan too, but I feel yeah. like with Dylan, there's like this willful obscurity. There's like this, I'm going to be a little mysterious and hard to read, which <laughs> is a choice. Like that's, it's a choice and it's a choice that you can feel whatever way you feel about. But on those Joni Mitchell records, like the ability to be that artful and that direct, um, it's unparalleled and I, yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't say enough about, about that record and, and that song. It's crazy. I know we're not even really talking about the Beatles option that you had, but it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Beatles. Well, when, we all, we all. <laughs> when I, when you said there was one that you play on the guitar and one was not, I thought maybe you're going to say Nina Simone's version of mm -hmm. that same song, but I love that you gave another guitar option, which is Joni Mitchell. But because I also considered putting California on my list because mm -hmm. it has that amazing little intro part. Well, and all guitar part of that song, um, yep. which I believe was also technically played on a hammer dulcimer. Was that it a little? Yeah, I think I think on that one it was she was playing hammer dulcimer. I think on the recording it was James Taylor. Somebody was like some James Taylor type dude was playing the actual acoustic guitar that secondary part but that intro that do 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 that's that's hammered dulcimer yep yeah so good so good well while we're talking about her what are your thoughts and opinions on because you know jacob dylan did a documentary on laurel canyon but he didn't include her at all <laughs> that was such a weird documentary. That was such a weird, like that, that felt like a weird Jacob Dylan vanity project. Like there was a lot of Jacob Dylan in that. Like if you do a documentary about Laurel Canyon that has more Jacob Dylan than Joni Mitchell in it, <laughs> then you're probably Jacob Dylan. Like I can't think of any other, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it was, it was kind of cool to see. Is it because she's from Canada? I think it's probably because she, a, I think probably wanted nothing to do with any of this yeah. and be like, you know, Joni Mitchell is a, is is a complicated figure. Um, I kind of loved a couple of years ago when it was like, Taylor Swift's going to play Joni Mitchell in a biopic. And she was like, no, she's not like she scuttled that. I think, I think the thing that always 
like if you've seen the the rolling thunder review the the bob dylan like half fake half real documentary on netflix which is kind of infuriating no um it's worth it for one scene because joni mitchell joined like it was basically just like all these coked up dudes and joni mitchell (laughs) on this tour uh and it was when she was writing she was starting to write a lot of hajira which is an incredible record. And there's a scene where she's playing Coyote for the first time at Gordon Lightfoot's house. And all these coked up dudes are kind of trying to follow along with it. And Bob Dylan looks at her with this like white hot rage and jealousy. Um, Cause she's just like, cause she, she knows how good she is. I think that's yeah. part of why Joni Mitchell is terrifying to people <laughs> is because she knows how good she is and she's not afraid to be like, no, I am the best. Like I am the best good. songwriter. Yeah. Find me anybody who can write a song the way I can write a song. Nobody can. I am the best. And that's just such a like, you know, people are, are certainly not used to women approaching their right. art that way. Right. And you know, Joni Mitchell is the is the best. Like again, those records, like you know, with blue, like a pinnacle, like perfecting an art form just like perfecting an art form then you have court and spark which is like expanding on that then you have um you know hissing of summer lawns and, and the other one which i haven't spent enough time with and then you have hajira which is just like inventing totally new forms like um if you listen to the song amelia on hajira which i think is also like larry carlton's guitar playing on that also qualifies um but like it's a it's totally bizarre the structure of it it's a round with a modulation in it not a verse chorus verse structure um it's just a a song that sounds like what it's describing it's it's you know not to keep using this word but it's it's painterly it's like painting it's painting a song it's funny the in in my high school graduation i was just thinking about this because i was back in new york walking by my high school a couple weeks ago um at my high school graduation they played uh both sides now uh the the Joni Mitchell song or you know which is like to to have written that song before you hit your creative peak like for (laughs) for like it's like oh yeah like she wrote both sides now and and the circle game and Woodstock and all these songs but like that was just like a warm-up act (laughs) that was a like writing these iconic songs and it was funny too because when when speaking of guitar when we played that song at my high school graduation. They were doing a piano arrangement for it, which involved one of those big modulations where like the whole song moves, goes up a whole step. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if you want me to play guitar on that, we have to change the arrangement because you can't just like, these are open tunings. You can't just like modulate. You can't just like capo the second fret all of a sudden, you know, and they were like, find a way. So my friend sat with a guitar capo and when the modulation happened, he dropped the capo onto the second fret of my acoustic guitar, which wow. of course did not work and produced oh no. this horrible, like muted clanging sound. And we both uh, laughed about it. But I was mostly I, I was also expressing some anger that they would not the powers that be would not let my high school band do a cover of the Violent Femme song Good Feeling at our high school graduation, which I 100 percent wanted to do. Why not? So they said I'm so glad you asked. They said that there were not (laughs) enough that because it was just three of us in the band, it wasn't enough people to warrant time out of our high school graduation. But then my friend Natalie, who's a very, very talented pianist, got like 40 minutes of solo piano time. So I think it was more that we were not a good band 
or they don't know they don't know the song and just don't get it yeah i think it's probably like 50 percent that 50 percent. we were not a good band oh <laughs> i was trying to give you more credit i there. appreciate it yeah no it's 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 yeah it's, it's all good <laughs> um but that's you know I, I think to me again like beatles here comes the sun Joni mitchell um a case of you are like the, the roads to which so many of my favorite guitar parts of yeah. forever lead back and i'm happy to include them yeah i feel bad did we not talk enough about here comes the sun because i think that's a great choice especially related to the guitar which um i feel like in this song maybe there's still a little bit of influence of that like indian sound yeah that's a that's a good it's a good idea i don't I don't know. It's one of those things like talking, talking about the Beatles, here comes the sun almost sounds, it almost feels like a futile exercise because mm-hmm. it's one of those things that just sounds like it's always existed. Like it's hard to, yeah. I mean, I guess that's why there was that whole movie about what if the Beatles never existed, but that's a good example of like, you can't like, you can't imagine. And there's so many Beatles songs, especially from a guitar standpoint that kind of created styles of guitar playing. Um, but that little lovely riff with the, you know, the do 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 like just it's 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 just perfect. It's just a perfect again, it's that D chord that you learn, you know, when you're when you're learning the campfire chords, like all all roads lead to that open D chord as just the the key to the key to all things. And that's kind of in my mind the the canonical example. Cause I was also thinking of like you know, there's some some Nick Drake songs in that mm-hmm. kind of similar like acoustic guitar variations on chords. Um, you know, trying to trying to learn Nick Drake finger picking is very challenging. Yeah, um, I've been trying to learn. It's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard. Yeah. No. At one point, I had I had one of my guitars here was tuned down to the the uh, the tuning for for from the morning, which I think is really just two. It's like two notes repeating over again. But that just getting the right hand to do somebody did a really good YouTube video on like all the components of getting the Nick Drake guitar sound. And a lot of it is like where your right hand is located on the instrument, like playing closer to the fretboard. Was that a guy Uh, with really long hair and a bunch of silver rings? I think it might have been. We may have have watched the same same video. Yeah. And he was like, it's good if you do your fingers like a waterfall almost. Yep. Uh, Yeah. That was a good video. That was a good video. Props to that uh, guy making indeed, yeah, <laughs> making useful, useful, useful content. YouTube content. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, the in in the canon of of Beatles guitar uh, stuff, that one stands out to me anyhow. Yeah, while my guitar gently weeps, I would say is another good one. Also, love listening to that song with headphones because you know they do a really good job of making some parts feel like only on the right some parts feeling only on the left and then like in the middle of your head you have this whole other section um it just sounds so cool so yeah man the beatles are great Uh, it's it's funny i I feel like i went through a phase like 15 years ago where i was like the beatles aren't that great i was like what am i doing what am i trying who am i who am i trying to impress like who cares yeah yeah it's not it's 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 you know, gratuitously contrarian opinions are not terribly interesting and they're usually, you know, you're usually missing something. So I agree 100%. <laughs> All right. Well, that All was right. I such, hear your list that was such a good list. 
Thank you. Let's take a break, and uh, I'll go gather up my records, and we'll go through my top five guitar parts that are not guitar solos. Sounds great. I I will browse a bit. Cool. You've been planning this for months. Hope you're wearing your long johns today, hunters. Gotta be nippy out there. The big day is finally here. Welcome to opening day here at Sportsman's Warehouse. This is your big shot to gear up for Unforgettable at the Sportsman's Warehouse Grand Opening, Thursday through Sunday, October 14th through the 16th, off Summit Park Drive near Walmart. Or visit us at sportsmans.com. I asked what kind of family she wanted. She said, a family like yours. Learn more about adopting a teen at AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt US Kids, and the Ad Council. My name is Kristen Nobles, and I am the host of a new podcast called Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine. I have been chronically ill for over 20 years, and a doctor told me she believed that my breast implants were causing an autoimmune disease that was attacking my body. That is when I learned about breast implant illness. This disease is not my fault. I am not going to allow BII to define who I am. Listen to Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. Matt has just given his list of top five guitar parts that are not guitar solos, and now I'm going to go. Um, and I'm going to start with number five. This is the one that is, I feel like once you hear it, maybe you'll remember the song, but this part in this song has always stuck out to me. Every time I hear it, I like pretend to do it myself. Like, um, it's actually not even, it's definitely on the guitar, but it's almost like the effect that I'm uh-huh. hearing that sticks out to me. And it's the song, Someday I Will Treat You Good by Sparkle Horse. So in verse one, right, when he starts singing, there's a guitar part and it's like, he's like turning on and off this sort of effect. I don't know if that's distortion or what. They're just like cutting it on and off and does it a couple times like during that verse. And then it goes away. It doesn't happen again for a while until the next like after the chorus verse. Um, It's so minor. And if you're not really paying attention, you might not notice it, but since I was a teenager, I've been hearing that part. So it's like uh-huh. my top five guitar part that's not a guitar solo part that just stuck with me. I love that. I feel like anytime like you're you're turning on and off an effect or you're like using the the mute, like muting the guitar on and off. I remember seeing this band Jack Drag open for Guided by Voices in like 2000. And they would do all this stuff where like they would have one guitar pickup turned off and one turned on and they'd... You, flip the pickup selector on and off. So it'll go like, and use that as kind of a rhythmic effect. And that really stuck with me too. It's cool. when like the whole, rather than like just the guitar note changing, like the whole sound of the guitar 
changes or, or shifts in and out. I think, yeah. I think there's something like really memorable and, and that like really leaves an impression about that. Yeah. And man, Sparkle Horse, Gone Too yeah. Soon, um, yeah. Mark, Mark Linkus, um, we lost him. Actually, we lost him in Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where I'm from. But um, this album was important to me when I was a teenager. But then, of course, he had so many more much later um, really great, um, not even just albums, but just contributions to music, I would say, as I was, as I was a lot older. Um, but man, yeah. Sparkle Horse. Such a good yeah. band. Do you remember that song? Someday I'll treat you good. I don't remember that one. I think I, I mostly, my, I, I got into Sparkle Horse a little later, I think. Mm, yeah. Like I think, I think as, as with a lot of people, like Good Morning Spider was when kind of, I was kind of like, ooh, this is interesting. And then, you know, he, he wasn't around for terribly long after that, I don't think, which is yeah super sad. Um, Very sad. Um, yeah. I think they, ha- like that was kind of in their college rock 90s. Um, moment, if you will, um, that that song became pretty popular. Let's see. I think it was 1996, I think. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I think actually It's a Wonderful Life was the one. It's a Wonderful Life was the one that I listened to a fair amount. Um, But I never got as deep into, never got as deep into those records as I now probably will. Uh, oh, yeah. On this conversation. Oh, cool. Yeah. This album is called Viva Dixie Submarine Transmission Plot. And it's all one word. Love it. <laughs> That's going on the list. Yeah. Ever, ever since 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 the last time I was in the store, I've been listening to uh, to Hatchie on repeat. Oh, it's been heck a, yes. a big a big one in, in, in the household. So what did my my description of her line up? Was it like Cocteau Twins, My Bloody Valentine, all of that sugar kind of sugary sweet? Yeah, once, once, like, by the time you're name dropping Cocteau Twins, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. it. That's really all it takes. Um, I mean, those, Robin those Guthrie. Records are fantastic. Yeah, and so now we're getting off topic, but Robin Guthrie even remixed one of her songs. So it was like, yep. So funny. Anyways, yes. Okay. Next up is number four. This is the one that's like, okay, everyone probably already knows this one has to be on the list, but nothing cool, maybe, unless you're a huge fan of this band, but some people will probably cringe at this. But I think this guitar part, actually a couple parts, uh, guitar parts in this song are epic and warrant a place in a list of sorts like this. And that is Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yep, incontrovertible. I, I am in full support of this. I will I will dunk on the chai peps <laughs> whenever I get the chance, but you cannot argue with the guitar playing, which I would argue also is another song the the Verses in that I think can be traced back to to the wind cries Mary a little bit. It's that oh. same like because uh, there's the intro which is that same kind of like the the noodling on the chords. I remember learning that one too and being like, this isn't so hard until it got to the verses. Have you ever seen footage of when they were on Saturday Night Live in 1992 and John Frusciante just like totally biffed the the intro to this? No. Um, it's let me see if I can find it. It's uh, okay. I have to I have to send you this. <laughs> this send is, it. 
I mean, it's, it's sad because drugs, but it's <laughs> also, um, it's, it's, it's something. In that video, he seems like he's playing it like slightly different from the album on purpose. But I do think it seemed like Anthony Kiedis was doing a, you know, he gets a lot of uh, shit for maybe not being the best singer, but I think he kind of handled that one well, like very well. Yeah, the, the, the like ongoing friendship between Flea and Anthony Kiedis is like always very soul affirming to me. Like when you see them like at a Lakers game dressed up in, in their finest and like yelling at, at the court, I'm like, you know what? There's a there's like a heartwarming. Yeah. There's a heartwarming story and, and, you know, like the fact that they're so easy to make fun of almost makes me appreciate them more. Like, do you remember the, the (laughs) fake red hot chili pepper song, the RHCP 2014? No. Um, oh, oh man, this was, so this was John Daly and, and some other comedy people before the red hot chili peppers were on, um, on the Super Bowl, they put up a fake website, rhcp2014.com, with a fake Red Hot Chili Pepper song called Abracadabra California. That <laughs> was such a note, like pitch perfect Red Hot Chili Peppers parody. The chorus went like, bing a bong a bong a bong Burbank, giga 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 Glendale. And it was, it, it like, I love the fact that they are so who they are that you can kind of always dunk on them yeah and i i appreciate and respect this as a as a pick because it is truly like yeah like it's it doesn't get really better than that in terms of like what guitar can do in in that kind of music oh my gosh there's a quote on the wikipedia page for the song about that performance that oh, SNL, really? SNL performance. Yeah. It says, Kiedis said that it felt like I was getting stabbed in the back and hung out to dry in front of all America while Fushante was off in a corner in the shadow playing some dissonant out of tune experiment. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That just nails it. I mean, cause like I said, he did a p- pretty good job of carrying off his vocals as someone yeah. who gets like reamed for not being the best singer. And now he's also just like, he feels like, like, he th- threw him out to pasture to die after he's tried to go off riff and do this totally different out of like totally different key opener. It's, I think it's a, <laughs> I think it's, it's very like symptomatic of, of youthful, whatever, when you do something so well that you feel like you have to, you, you can't do it anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, Oh, everyone wants to hear me play the song that I, the, the guitar part that I wrote, that's like a perfect guitar part. So I'm going to play something different. It's like, that probably makes sense when you're like in your early twenties yeah. and you're like, whatever, I did this thing and people like it. So I've, I've got to make it more interesting. Whereas like if, if I, if I wrote the guitar part to under the bridge now, as I am pushing 40, I would just be like, <laughs> trot me out, like roll me out in front of everyone. I will play that guitar part. If I, if I wrote that guitar part, Probably when I was in my early 20s, I also would have been like, whatever, it's just a few chords. I could do something more interesting. But I feel like, you know, hopefully, hopefully as John Frusciante has uh, has had the chance to play that song more, he can enjoy the fact that he wrote something uh, really wonderful that uh, continues to resonate with people to this very day. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Um, All right, let's Move on to number three. Number three. Yeah. And this one, 
again, it's one of those you hear it and you airplay guitar also along with mm-hmm. this part. And it's not a solo. It's just a really fucking hard, awesome guitar part. Hard as in loud, as in grungy, dirty, hard, nice part. <laughs> and that is by Radiohead, the song uh-huh. Creep. You're so fucking special. But I'm a creep. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Chuck, Yes, that's the part. That's exactly the part. We don't even need to preview it. That is the part. Like everyone always air like tries to play that part in the air when they hear it. It's 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 I'm so glad you brought up like the physical dimension, because I feel like that's one where like even before I knew how to play guitar, like, (laughs) you know, and I remember the video like Johnny talking about swoopy hair. Like that's also an, an iconic moment in the history of swoopy hair, like Johnny Greenwood with the swoopy hair, like all like five pounds of lanky Johnny Greenwood, just like hunched over with his hair in his face doing like, chung, chung, chung. Like I, 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 I just wanted to be that so much when I was a kid watching that video. I think I saw Radiohead tour with Red Hot Chili Peppers too, if I recall correctly. That's right. Wasn't like one of Radiohead's first big tours opening for Red Hot yeah. Chili Peppers? I think. Wow. And I think I went to it. <laughs> that must have been amazing. I don't remember because I was too young and I forget everything except for, you know, which shirts that I bought at the shows, apparently. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, that, yeah, that part is so iconic. The slacker vibes of this song. And everyone, I feel like everyone can relate to it. And we're just talking about the lyrics now, but I feel like literally everyone relates to this song in some way. Yeah. About, you know, wanting to feel fucking special. So very special, but also feeling like you're maybe a little bit of a creep. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we all feel kind of weird sometimes, or I do. And then you want to just be special, but maybe you're too weird to be special. I don't know. I feel like that's also like in keeping with the the kind of the kind of Chai Peps story. It's a similar thing where like I know they hated that song for a while after it was such a big hit. Oh, yeah. But then they kind of came to to appreciate it because I, I think you're totally right. Like that song resonated. It, it, it resonated. And especially was, in the 90s. Oh, yeah. It was, you know, again, when you when you perfectly capture a moment in time and do it really artfully. I get how that would be kind of exhausting at a certain point, but also like how many people get to do that? How many yeah. artists get to be like, oh yeah, I like, we perfectly captured this. And and I think that that chung chung is like part of that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's also like, you know, I know it gets written all about a lot as like the, the foreshadowing of Radiohead's more experimental, whatever. But I think to me, it's less even like experimental and more just visceral, like in a song, which is so much about like, so introverted kind of and so about like holding things in yeah that's it's this like kind of explosive disruptive noise making um and it's so much fun to just like the it's like the big arm gesture yes it's it's so it's so physical and and so so great yeah that's a a great choice you know another one another song from the 90s that i feel like captures that very Gen X loser weirdo mentality is Weezer's 
sweater song, but also uh-huh. Say It Ain't So has that just epic guitar intro uh-huh. and and even solo. But um, Say It Ain't So, not Say It Ain't So, but definitely the sweater song definitely captures that like 90s Gen X. I don't care. I'm a kind of, I'm a weirdo. Um, if you want to, uh, what is it? Pull my thread and watch. I forget the words. If you want, but, if yeah. you want to destroy this sweater, yeah. pull pull this thread as I walk. Which is <laughs> Thank yeah, you. it's such a like, I don't like know. that and Buddy Holly. It was kind of like this like this nerdy. It was like which is funny because also I feel like if you look at the, the path of Rivers Cuomo after that, you also kind of see the like dark entitled toxic masculinity <laughs> oh, yeah. that's hiding under like self styled nerdy stuff sometimes. But yeah, uh, it at the time yeah. it was. It was very compelling for sure. Also, of course, Beck's Loser. Beck's Loser um, is like the most 90s song ever. And Feel Feel the Pain by Dinosaur Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I feel like Beck was always cool, though. Like, that was the thing about Beck is like, he was singing about being a loser, but you were like, nah, this is a, this is a cool guy. Like, yeah. this guy, like, this is a cool enough guy. Like, I feel like that embodied the kind of like, the slacker, like, I don't, whatever, I don't even care. Like, just kill me. I don't even care ethos. Whereas <laughs> like creep is so like, again, it, it's wound up. Like there's, is. there's like a deep like pain and longing in that song. And um, I can't remember if you were talking about this. I feel like you had mentioned something about this earlier, this sort of um, almost not playing a solo part to play a solo part. If that makes any sense. Didn't you say something about that where, someone I forget on your list is um, like it's melodic, but it's not. Oh no, it's no. Yeah. We were talking about Jimi Hendrix and you were saying that it um, augments his voice. His guitar parts are almost augment his voice. I feel like Tom York does have a pretty great voice, but Johnny Greenwood doesn't ever go too far over a line to like cover it up. There's yeah, like even in in this song, almost his voice is the guitar solo in a in a certain part, and then he does the same thing on um, the song. Just there is a guitar solo, but oh, it's like that song. It's just not. It's not like he's not flexing his guitar muscles. He's just like playing the most appropriate notes you could ever come up with, and not a complex way. Just like a simple way that gets the feeling and emotion across. Yep. Yeah, that's that is perfectly described. And and now that I'm thinking about it in creep, it's like the chung chung like sets you up for the chorus. Like it's 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 kind of clearing the stage for for the chorus, which like I'm like, would that chorus be as as great as it is if there wasn't something to kind of get you alert to it to be like, hey, something's about to happen. And I don't think it would. Also, Seth's going to be so stoked that I put a Radiohead song in my list. I'm often the one, and you can visit my previous list. I am often the one that's always like, Radiohead again. Why does everyone love Radiohead so much? And it's not that I don't love Radiohead. They are great. I always am just like, there's so many people that love Radiohead. I'm always surprised by it. I don't know why. It shouldn't be a surprise, but... It's something this I was, do. I may have mentioned this on our last, on our last, uh, on my last time in the store, but I, uh, when I was in college and people would invite me to jam band shows I didn't want to go to, <laughs> my, I found that the only acceptable reason not to go was 
people be like, hey, do you want to go see this band? I said, oh, sorry, I only like Radiohead. They'd be like, oh, that's cool. And it worked. So, um, which was <laughs> wow. not true, but it was like, it, it was a, a an easy way out. Um, so, that's funny. <laughs> so if, if you don't want to go to a, your friend's concert, uh, try, I only like Radiohead. Sorry. The only band I like. Like, is it Radiohead? Because if it's not Radiohead, I'm just not into any band that's not Radiohead. <laughs> Sorry, I only like Radiohead. Yeah, that's I hilarious. like the one band Radiohead. Um, okay. Which brings us to number two. Number two. Where do we go from here? You've actually mentioned this band already. Okay. I tried my best to not ruin anything, but it is My Bloody Valentine, and the song uh-huh. is Glider. Uh-huh. Great choice. Great choice. Again, it's just that crazy, wobbly, distorted, reverby, but not reverby, reverse reverby <laughs> sound that he yeah. made his own. It's so funny, too, because I've like tried experimenting with reverse reverb. And let me tell you, it doesn't sound like my bloody valentine. No. Like so many things need to, I feel like there's a thing in the, especially like in the music gear community, which can be a very exhausting community where like, it turns out that somebody played a certain pedal or a certain kind of guitar, had a certain microphone. And like, you know, I remember when, when my band was doing our first record, we ran all the vocals through an Ampex MX 35 because I had heard that, uh, Neutral Milk Hotels in the Airplane Over the Sea was run through an Ampex <laughs> MX-35, which may very well have been true, but that certainly did not make my band sound like Neutral Milk Hotel, which we <laughs> didn't anyhow. Um, and I, I love the like reverse reverb thing because I feel like that's probably opened up some weird creative avenues for a lot of people who've been like, like, oh, I'm going to try to make things sound that way. And like, but there's so much like once you once you try to recreate a sound like that and you realize how it's not just the sound, it's not just the effect, it's how it fits in the song and how everything else fits in around it. Like there's so, there's just so much that has to go right for that to be as special as it is. Yeah, he has, (laughs) Kevin Shields has the special sauce when it comes to plugging everything in and tweaking the knobs in such a a way. But everything together, he has the recipe for the sauce. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, and it's, you know, we, we talked about this the last time I was here, but, but just the, the magic of the guitar having more dynamic range than the drums, the fact that like the ebbs and flows of the guitar parts, which are usually pretty steady in rock music, Mm -hmm. the fact that they can go from being so loud to so quiet and be so many different kinds of loud all in the same song that that's what's up front. That's where you're hearing the variety that would usually come from the drums or from the vocals. It's so brilliant. And it's not, you know, you can't like, again, I think that the the single most deterministic thing about a My Bloody Valentine mix is just like the guitar faders are way up, which is not terribly complicated, but it just wouldn't work for most music. If you did that with most, with most songs, they would sound wrong, but to be able to compose and then produce in a way that, that, inverts that and still sounds so right and so fully formed yeah it's it's a good reminder that like in a lot of cases i think the most brilliant 
leaps forward don't come from technological innovation, but just from like doing things wrong and sticking with them. Or even just trying something out like Brian Eno's loops on tape, like just trying out some new stuff. You never know. You may be doing something totally different. No one's ever captured on a recording before. Maybe it's not totally brand new, but yeah. And this is his technique was called glide guitar, um, which is why I chose the glider song because it does highlight that technique. But I mean, it's in other songs like the one that you chose as well. Yep. That sort of we were sound. We were. (laughs) (laughs) That's a we were sound. No, that's a we were. Um, But yeah, this is like manipulation of distortion and tremolo all in one. Yeah. He gets a call out. Good old Kevin Shields. All right. Now I'm, now I'm really curious where you're going to go for number one. Okay. I mean, I think, I think I, I think I, I have a sense of where you might go for number one, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stop talking. I'm, I'm going classic and look, there's a problematic person in this band. I'm not going to ignore that fact, but this is not the solo. This is the band. And so therefore Mm -hmm. I'm still allowed to listen and enjoy this band in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) And the song is how soon is now. And the band is the Smiths. Oh, that's a perfect choice. And that's and that's a Johnny Marr part. Yes, know. that's true. Very true. Johnny Marr is the genius behind this particular guitar part. Um, it's swampy, it's vibrate-y, reverby. Mm-hmm. In what it's like when you're in the car and you're a kid and the window's down and you, you know, bop both of your ears at the same time to hear that sort of echoey vibration from the wind. Yep, 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 yep. This song does that for me without me doing my hands over my ears like that. Um, yeah, classic. It's such, it's so classic. It's also. Like the that entire song is contained in miniature in that intro riff, like that's it's one of those things where like every, like you can hear kind of everything that's going to happen just in the way that it works, and and the yeah ah oh, it's so good it's so good it's it's a yeah yeah it's funny when you said there was a problematic person I was like I was like oh I hope this isn't going to be Clapton. Um, Wait, so who, I'm glad who did you say? Eric, I was like, I hope this isn't going to be Eric Clapton related. Oh um, no! Wait, I don't know of his problematic behavior. Do oh, I? he's he he famously people people forgive. Like, I'm I'm gonna hold off on my whole like, why are we still giving space to John Mayer thing? But I will leave it at, at oh, why are we yeah. still giving space to John Mayer? Um, but like Eric Clapton in the '70s went on this whole insanely racist rant at a show about oh, no. um, how England needs to be a white nation again. No. Um, and then later he said, like, he was like, I was on drugs. I'm like, uh, drugs don't make you racist. 
and now he's gone full of like anti-vax and he's going around telling people not to get vaccinated. So, uh, damn it. Eric Clapton, uh, sucks. <laughs> Shit. But I'm, uh, but, and, and Morrissey also Morrissey obviously sucks. sucks. <laughs> but, um, but I agree with you, like the, the Johnny Marr and I, you know, seeing old footage of the Smiths where like Johnny Marr is trying to look cool and Morrissey's like flagellating himself with a bouquet of flowers there the the like internal turmoil of that band seems like a lot of the engine of what made it interesting and yeah that that guitar part is is like it's it's one of those things i, I feel like it, it it it's so well suited to be number one because it has the like feeling of inevitability that something like here comes the sun has, but it yeah. also is totally un- like unique and unexpected too. Like it's not like there's just some jumps in there that you wouldn't necessarily think to do, but it sounds also like something that just has always existed. So I think yeah. that one like ticks both of those boxes. It ticks the like, so classic you can't imagine it not existing and the so singular that you can't imagine anyone else having written it um great choice thank you yeah it's also a really hella long song and this and this uh sound kind of continues throughout um Johnny Marr. Oh, I'm thinking of a different song. I'm thinking of uh, This Charming Man. Oh, what? I've, I've mixed That's up, a good one, too. Did it? I've, I'm, I've mixed up. Yeah, I've mixed up my Smith songs. Shame on me. What? That's the one, which is also. This one is the, the one. Uh, is that what you're. Ah, the tremolo guitar. Okay, so I was fully wrong about which song I thought <laughs> we were talking about, but now I am even. I, I stand even more in support of this as a number one. Woo! Because to have been able to, like, to use the guitar as an instrument for that intro and for this charm, like to be able to have that many, to make one instrument do that many totally texturally different things yeah. at this, at, at roughly the same moment in time with the same band is just amazing. Yeah. So I'm, and now, so yes, I stand, yeah. I stand, corrected and uh <laughs> even even further in support cool i'm so glad um apparently the song was originally called swamp when he, when johnny marr wrote the guitar parts because he wrote the guitar parts for this woman is really nothing please 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 let me get what i want all oh, is also a classic all in a four-day period and he Dang. said he wanted to explore building a song around a single chord in this case is f sharp um as much as possible and I thought it was really interesting. I was reading about this. Um, he um, was working with this producer, John Porter. And when they were like setting up the room for this recording session, <laughs> they they were talking about, you know, smoking dope as soon as they get out of bed. And when they got to bed and they're talking about like, smoking weed until it comes out of your ears and putting red lights in the studio light bulbs for ambiance. And I'm like picturing them just being stoned out of their minds with red lights on and doing this sound, making this swampy, creating this swampy mood. Um, and, uh, um, they said that, um, what they did was they set up microphones at different, like 
with different distances in between to create this sort of like swampy sound. Um, yeah. And they filled like an entire reel of tape uh, of just these, this guitar part, which is these microphones are set up everywhere. And then they added the tremolo effect to the guitar part after the fact. Um, huh. I don't know. Just like imagining them being stoned and like with the red lights and doing all of this is such a vision. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a vibe for sure. It's a vibe. And and then going back and listening to it myself, it's, um, it's just so cool. I don't know. Um, uh, and then it says, uh, there was this, the effect was created by running the original guitar track through the studio desk into three separate f- Fender twin verb amplifiers, each with tremolo controlled, um, set to different oscillation speeds. Um, and they would adjust each speed by hand while the music played to keep it in rhythm. So, and anytime that it got off, they would stop and rewind the tape and then start them again. Wow. I know. So cool. Anyways. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. That's, it, it's funny. Cause I, I think, I think when I walked in, I may have heard you talking about, um, the REM album monster. Um, yes, and somehow I song. had never made, but like, it's, it's that same, it's like the same, I had never made that connection. Cause I was thinking about putting some of those songs on my list for that yes. effect, but like, it's so it so clearly has its lineage back to uh what's the frequency kenneth does totally have that same intro i wonder if they were inspired by that at all i kind of want to look and see and crush with eyeliner also has that oh crush with eyeliner might me crush crush that's your song that's your pump song right that's my that's my getting pumped up song or is it orange crush wait orange crush is a good song orange crush is an okay song Crush with um, Eyeliner is Crush your- with Eyeliner was my, like, when I was in New York and I was, like, single and going on a date or something and, like, I wanted to get myself pumped up, like, <laughs> Crush with Eyeliner was my, was my, like, try to muster some confidence about myself. Uh, yeah. New York strutting around jam. Um, I, I love Monster a, a lot. It's one of my favorite, I don't, my favorite REM records. Yeah, it's so great. Um. Yeah, I don't see where they were ever mentioned anything about that. There's a bunch song, of songs so, on that record which yeah. are just like all tremolo pedal. Yeah, it's true. The more I think about it. I feel like I had read something somewhere. Maybe that's because oh, yeah. that thing about... Peter Buck. Okay, yeah. He says, according to Howard, the sessions were experimental. The bass had a tremolo sound on it. There was an inventive session for them. I mean, I just like zoomed in on the word tremolo, but it's talking about bass actually. Huh. Well, that's cool. Because I think, I feel like I had read somewhere about them adjusting the tremolo on maybe What's the Frequency, Kenneth, by hand to also keep it in in sync with the song. What? Um, That would be so cool if that's... Buck's guitar work, Peter Buck, guitar work on the album was inspired by the tremolo heavy guitar playing of Glenn Johansson from Echo Belly, who supported R.E.M. on the Monster Tour. Which may have in turn been influenced by John. Like, like th- these are yeah. some of my favorite like music puzzles to solve. Yeah. When you realize that like you heard something secondhand from somebody else. Like, there's a great great quote from um, Carl Newman from the New Pornographers. He says that like everyone assumes that he likes Big Star, but he actually was really into Game Theory, who were influenced by Big Star. So yeah, and like for me, like you know, Game Theory, Scott Miller, my my favorite songwriter ever. And, uh, I, w- I was influenced by 
the new pornographers and by Ted Leo. And then when I heard those game theory records, I was like, Oh, this like, you can trace back a particular thread of this thing. I like, this is where this thread of this comes from. Um, and it's always really cool when that, when that happens. Yeah. It does say monster incorporated, distorted guitar tones, minimal overdubs and touches of 1970s glam rock. Yeah. Monster to me is like the, the, it's like the case of how do you make a glam rock album when your drummer doesn't have any swing. <laughs> yeah. um, and the answer is like all the movement comes from the bass. Yeah. Um, but I've. Mike I mean, Mills. Like Mike Mills. Genius. Genius. T- total genius. Total sweetheart. Mike Mills for the win. Um, all right. So that's my list. That's a we great should, list. Thank you. I think your list is pretty great, too. I think we should go over some of our um, short lists. Yes, some honorable, um, honorable mentions. I'll jump in there real quick. Um, I feel like um, Sleater Kinney should have a mention here. I just love yeah. Carrie Brownstein's plucky style. She doesn't play chords either. She's like, pluck, pluck, pluck. Mm-hmm. Like, I love how she does that um, style. Yeah, I would put I would put one more hour. That's the Sleater Kinney Ooh. song I would put on there. That little, the stagger that her. I wrote like that, to get up be, on here. That's also a great choice. Yeah. Great choice. Uh, la la la. Dinosaur Jr. Start chopping the intro. Oh yeah. Dinosaur Jr. A lot of, lot of Dinosaur Jr. Fell on Black Days by Soundgarden. Barracuda yeah. by Heart. And also another one that I was going to put on the list, but I didn't. Uh, but it has that same creep, like you make the sound noises with your hands too. The Breeders Cannonball, and it's the the, the there's yes. two parts actually that I think fit this, and it's the and then also the uh, yeah yeah. But that, also, that's that's all I'll say is on my list. <laughs> But That's there's so many, you know, there's always the ones you're just like, oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, there's I mean, there's a lot of a lot of good guitar playing out there. What's on your short um, list? I had uh, that last the, that last Jeff Parker album, um, which is getting into jazzier territory where I do not have a ton oh. of expertise and where the definition of a solo is murkier. Um, there's a song called After the Rain on that, which has a, a lovely, lovely, lovely guitar figure. But I'm like, is it a solo? How does jazz work? Mm-hmm. I don't really know. So I, I didn't feel as qualified to 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 fit that within the taxonomy. But that's just a lovely guitar record. Um, yeah. Uh, Archers of Loaf, Harnessed in Slums. Ooh. Which, there's a lot of <laughs> interesting guitar playing on those Archers of Loaf records. Um, I was kind of going for like, what are the things I'm inclined to pick up when I, when I like pick up a guitar, what are the first kind of things oh. I reach for? Um, Cheryl Crow's strong enough, definitely being one of them. Um, built to spill, kicked it in the sun. There's a lot of great built to spill stuff. A lot of it is solos, but on kicked it in the sun. There's that little, I'm, I always played in the wrong key, but just those little lovely, like, That little slide up is just really, yeah. really, really nice. That is nice. Um, and uh, Constantine's Nighttime Anytime, It's All Right, which I I will go on for 
as long as anyone <laughs> has about how that band never got its due. Um, they were so good. We were we were really lucky. Our first our first tour in, as a band was Constantine's. Like the first four shows we played, like our first show was op- was opening for the Wrens. Our second show was opening for Arcade Fire. Then we had three shows with Constantine's and Oxford Collapse, which was like such a great, such a great bill in the year of our Lord, 2005. <laughs> um, but Constantine's Nighttime, Anytime, It's All Right. It's another like, it's just one figure and it's just this like... It's just like this one electric guitar figure over and over again with this. I, I think I, I was trying to sneak in a drum part in this too, because the drum part is like one of my favorite drum parts ever. But uh, that that was that was my my short list, and I, I could nice. have made a much longer list probably. Because yeah, there's so much. There's so many. So much goodness out there. I didn't even really dive into the classic rock world too much. I mean, I kind of did with the heart, but like. Thin Lizzy, like there's so much that. Oh yeah, yeah. jailbreak, darn, darn, darn it, the guitar. So many. We didn't even talk about the cars. We didn't talk about any of that. So it's just like, yeah, so much good. Yeah, the guitars, the cars were like a synth band, but there are so many great guitar parts, like the the solo and just what I needed, which is a solo, but like such a great solo. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we've done. We played a high fidelity game. Um, let's take another break, and then when we come back, we can do our employee recommendation shelf. I know that um, Seth isn't here, but um, it'd be cool if you could maybe add something to the shelf in his stead. If I could be you, and you could be me for just one hour, if you could find a way. To get inside each other's mind. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk a mile in my shoes. We've all felt left out. And for some, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Walk a mile in my shoes. What are the ingredients for a perfect telenovela? Obviously, you need twins. A rich one. Oh my God, is that a Birkin? And a not-so-rich one. I'm an orphan raised in a poor convent. You need a terrible accident and mistaken identities. I should just tell the truth about who I really am. Throw in a charming prince. Mi amor, the kid to my cat, the hakuna to my matata. A cruel stepmother. You're useless. And a father with dark secrets. Now get out! Oh, and don't forget the nun. Wait, there's a nun? You won't listen to reggaeton. This show has all that and much more. Sonoro and iHeartRadio present a telenovela like you've never heard it before. Princess of South Beach. Beach, Starring Rachel Zegler, Gina Torres, Raul Esparza, Danny Pino, X Mayo, and Yvonne Cole. Listen to Princess of South Beach as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's been a year since my sister Callie died. Now I can't sleep because every time I close my eyes, Callie's there to wake me up. The insomnia's gotten so bad, I'm not sure what's real anymore. There's a shadow living inside my head. It's angry, and I don't think I can stop it. My name is Harper Hart, and I'll see you in your nightmares. 
Journey into your own subconscious and listen to See You in Your Nightmares now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back and we've we've played the high fidelity game. We heard both of our lists um, and now we are ready to stock the employee recommendation shelf. Um, I am going to recommend uh, the new Kelly Lee Owens Inner Song Remix series. Um, my top track on there that I highly recommend is the Breaka remix of Rewild. Rewild. This whole like EP, I guess, of remixes is is just so great. Highly recommend, and it just came out very recently. So, um, so yeah, awesome. I know Seth isn't here. Do you want to put something on the shelf? Sure. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll just I've had a, a moment in the last month where an artist that never clicked for me finally clicked for me, um, and all I've been listening to is like Paul's Boutique through Ill Communication era Beastie Boys. <laughs> Hell yeah. It like never did it for me. I remember being like annoyed when the sabotage video would come on when I was younger. <laughs> I don't know if it was like a, like a like being like a New York kid. Something about like licensed to oh. ill kind of rubbed me the wrong way and reminded me of people I didn't like. Interesting. But once uh, I watched the documentary, the Beastie Boys story, it like it just kind of opened everything up for me. And uh, I've just been listening to those three records, Paul's Boutique, uh, Check Your Head and Ill Communication, like pretty much on loop. Um, yeah. And if if like me, you're somebody who, for whatever reason, had trouble getting into it, uh, I recommend watching the documentary because it's a great it's it, it contextualizes their story in a way that for me helped me give myself permission to just embrace, embrace their music, uh, wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a similar thing happen when I read the book, the Beastie Boys book, mm-hmm. uh, and I just became totally obsessed and just immersed in all things Beastie Boys, even their influences and Luscious Jackson and things that were on their label, uh, Grand Royal and yeah, it just like, it was like everything Beastie Boys related was in my orbit after I read that book. So I, I still need to see the documentary though. It's funny. We just got the book. Um, so <laughs> we're on it. it sounds like either way, Reverse. either way, uh, <laughs> wherever you start, it, it all, it all leads to a good place. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right then. Well, that is it. We should lock up the store. We've We've overstayed our welcome. We should be closed by now. (laughs) Thank you, Matt LeMay, again for hanging out with me. Um, Thank you. Always a pleasure to stop by the store. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, I guess that's it. And thanks, everyone, for, for hanging out at the store. Bye.
Record Store Society is hosted by Tara Davies and Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to recordstoresociety at iheartmedia.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society. Record Store Society is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You've been planning this for months. Hope you're wearing your long johns today, hunters. Gotta be nippy out there. The big day is finally here. Welcome to opening day here at Sportsman's Warehouse. This is your big shot to gear up for Unforgettable at the Sportsman's Warehouse Grand Opening, Thursday through Sunday, October 14th through the 16th, off Summit Park Drive near Walmart. Or visit us at sportsmans.com. My best friend is an Irish heiress. She was royalty from Ireland. Had a huge inheritance. We're talking $30 million. But it turns out Mayor Smith is actually an international con artist. And police are hunting for her. She's left a trail of devastation in her wake. This is not normal to be outside her plate. I would rather die than let her get away. Listen to Queen of the Con every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I am Sholem Adiduenya. And I'm Jacob Scott Thomas Bertrand, and this is the Lone Lobos Podcast. Now, some of you guys might know us from the shows we've been on, i.e. Cobra Kai, some of the other ones. But September 21st, we're going to be launching our podcast together. And what are we going to be talking about, Jacob? Unapologetic takes on adulthood, shooting every week, growing up in the industry. Listen to Lone Lobos on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.